One of the primary things that transformed my life is when I understood God to be my loving father. I think I always believed that there was a God somewhere far away and that maybe was running things. But my life was transformed when I discovered that he was a loving father who knew my name. And uh, all of us here have fathers, some better than others. But God is a loving father. And what he enjoys doing for no other reason than just to bless us is he enjoys giving his children good things. Uh, for a long time, I was suspicious of that. I thought that, uh, that God was going to be more of the kind of God who would be a little bit stingy, uh, not super generous, because he wanted me to be grateful, and so that meant that he wasn't going to be extravagant in his love toward me. And so I was more comfortable with seeing God as somebody who would kind of give blessings uh, almost reluctantly. And I think that Scripture speaks otherwise about this. Uh, first of all, the word to bless means to grant prosperity or well-being. So God wants to give to his children this idea of prosperity. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. That's God's desire towards you. He longs to bring prosperity and hope into your life and mine. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. So God doesn't just want to bring prosperity. He also wants to bring the kind of prosperity that you don't have to toil and suffer for. It's a gift, freely given to his children. Uh, 3 John 1 verse 12 says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Uh, for the longest time, I thought, okay, yeah, okay, he is a good God, but the way that he primarily wants to bless me or encourage me is in a spiritual kind of way. And uh, all of the um, goodness of God toward me is going to be in some abstract and spiritual reality. It's not going to be physical or tangible. It's going to be in some other kind of dimension. And then I remember reading 3 John 12, and he says that I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. So there's another dimension of God's blessing towards us that isn't just uh, spiritual or about our soul. It's also about having physical health and that all would go well with us. And then in Psalm 67, 7, it says, May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. There's something that benefits all the earth if Christians are blessed. I've given you a whole bunch of other verses you can see up on the screen. And uh, later you can take a, a picture of those and, and look them up. It's a great Bible study. But what we see over and over again in Scripture is God wanting to bless his children. Uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll talk to parents and we talk about our philosophies of parenting. And I think a really 
uh, common philosophy is, is that you want your children to be responsible. And so what you do is you make sure that you don't give a lot of gifts to them, that they pay for most everything. And so you want your children to be working really early on uh, when they grow up, and you want to make sure that if they, if they get something that they've paid for it, that they've earned it. And this is how to teach children to be responsible. Um, I don't think we've done a really good job of that. Our, our philosophy is that for their whole life long, they're going to work for everything, for their whole life. They have this short window of time called childhood in which they get to be given free gifts. And so our philosophy has been that we should bless our kids freely in ways that they don't deserve. Now, this was a huge risk because you're afraid that you're going to have spoiled children or entitled children. And I can tell you that, I mean, we have 10 of them, and that uh, all, I would, all of my kids have a high regard for money, are super grateful, and are not uh, frivolous or careless in how they spend money. They're really good at saving. This is my experience of my kids. And so, so far, I mean, they're all not <laughs> totally done yet, but so far, uh, blessing somebody doesn't mean they're going to become spoiled, as far as I can tell. I think that for many of us here, we struggle in a whole bunch of different ways, receiving blessing and prosperity from God. Uh, I would go so far as to say, I have thought it sinful to receive prosperity or blessing from God. I thought I was being selfish. And if I asked anything of God, it just meant that I was a self-centered, spoiled child. And when God looked down on me, asking for things, he would kind of shake his head and say, another spoiled kid, there's no way I'm going to bless that. I'm just going to wait until they grow up and become mature, and then maybe I might throw them something, but it's mostly about being mature and, and uh, not having a lot of hopes or dreams or hoping for the blessings of God. And I purposely tried to give as many verses as I could without totally overwhelming you that all talk about the prosperity of God, that he wants us to prosper and not just barely make it. I think there's a way of living where your expectations of God is that you're barely going to make it through. And you hope that, uh, you know, when you die and you're on your deathbed, that you're not running a deficit, uh, but you're not, you don't have any surplus either, and you just kind of made it through, and that was a godly life. One of the things that I am personally trying to work on in my own heart is to believe the fact that God is generous and extravagant in his love toward me, his child, the way I think 
that parents would love to be generous toward their children. But it says that I'm an evil father in the Bible. Imagine how much better God is. Are you comfortable with that idea? Have you asked God for physical or financial blessing? Have you ever prayed that prayer? Not, can I pay the rent this month? That's also a good prayer. But uh, can I... Can I hope for more than that? Can I hope for a blessing? How are you doing with that? I, was, uh, I went online and was looking this stuff up, and I looked up prosperity Christian, right? I just looked up those two words together. And then I, I look at what comes up on the screen, and it's words like satanic and demonic. These are the words I look up. And people who believe in God bringing prosperity, they are satanic and demonic. I thought, well, that's not fun. So I changed my, you know, search for something that got happy things about God bringing blessing. And uh, fortunately, I found some of those as well. But I didn't realize that this is a... People get mad when you talk about a God who would bless did you know this? Christians get mad about this. They don't like it. I don't like it. I preach it. So God is a loving father who enjoys, enjoys blessing his children. Come on now. Parents, do you not enjoy blessing your children? Like, let's just say Christmas. Like, isn't it fun it's just fun. I remember years ago, Tyler, I'm sorry to bring it up, Ty, because you're older and you'd never do this now because you're mature, but I remember when he got, we got a, 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 one of those video console things, yeah, a Wii. And I remember what he said. There is nothing like the feeling of unexplicable joy. <laughs> this is a little kid. I didn't even, even know he knew those words. And he's just Oh, it's just incredible how great I feel right now that I was blessed. So happy. Don't you think God would want to make you happy like that? And you would say to him when you're singing, there's nothing like the feeling of inexplicable joy because you've been so generous towards me. I think he'd like that. Instead of, you know, we praise you for your goodness, greatness, stuff, thanks. No, it's, it's, what if we're more blessed than that? And what's preventing that is not God's reluctance, it's our suspicion. Now, there is cause for suspicion because there's a risk to being blessed, let me just read two verses. This is the but that you see. Uh, the first is 1 Timothy 6, verses 9 and 10 is all I'll read. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Greed 
throughout the Bible is a horrible thing. Luke 12, 15 says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in abundance of possessions. So here we have a whole bunch of verses. I tried to give a lot of them just in case you were nervous that say that God wants to prosper you. And then you can find a whole bunch of other verses that says greed is a horrible thing. Isn't that great? Here we go. Welcome to the tension series. Uh, we have in certain segments of the church something called uh, a prosperity gospel or health and wealth preaching. Uh, the problem with some of that teaching is that it's actually cruel. Because what it says, that, I mean, the nice part is that God wants to bless you. But the cruel part of that teaching is an oversimplified cause and effect. That the reason why you're not blessed is because you don't have enough faith. You didn't try hard enough. You weren't sincere enough. That's just mean. It's unbiblical and cruel to say that there's only one reason why there's not blessing in your life, and it's because you don't have enough faith and you're not trying hard enough. That's just mean. And so somehow, we need to hold the tension between God being a loving, generous father and greed and entitlement being one of the chief of sins. That's point number one. Point number two is that God is also a loving father who calls us to suffer. He is a loving father who calls us to suffer. Let me support this. Hebrews 12, 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. That if you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it is assumed and expected that you will live a life of suffering. Luke 9.23 makes it even more poignant. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And we have more verses that say this exact same thing. The truth is, is that if you do not experience suffering uh, for good, you're not following Christ. It's just true. The Christian road is full of pain and suffering. And many people have denied following Christ because it was just too painful. And they go, you know what? You speak of this loving God. Ever since I became a Christian, uh, horrible things have happened to me. I remember when I became a Christian. I was super popular. 
I told all my friends about Jesus, and I had no friends left. None. I go, okay, this isn't, you know, exactly the abundant life that I was imagining. So what's going on? But uh, Christians feel quite comfortable speaking about the cost and the suffering of following Christ. And sometimes there's a bit of a tinge in there of something a little strange. And let's look at that. There's a risk to suffering and self-sacrifice as well. In 1 Corinthians 13, 3, it says, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. There's nothing great about suffering and sacrifice in and of itself. It's got to be about love. Colossians 2.23 says, such regulations, and these are kind of human rules, indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You're not impressing anybody through self-sacrifice for the sake of self-sacrifice. God isn't going around looking to make sure that you're suffering for the sake of you simply suffering. And if he sees you happy, not a sincere follower, I got to see pain on that face. He's not like that. Finally, uh, 1 Timothy 4.3, this is, There are men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared. In the name of honoring God and crucifying our sinful desires, we can embrace a style of Christianity that is simply uh, mean and religious. Here's the tension, and I think it's beautifully summarized in Luke chapter 7, verses 33 to 36. It says this, and this is Jesus speaking. It says, John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. John the Baptist nailed suffering. He nailed it. The Son of Man, Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And you can just imagine Jesus going, it doesn't matter what I do, you're going to figure out a way to condemn. So how do we reconcile this tension between God being a loving father who calls us to enjoy his blessings even financially? As though, I mean, there's tons of forms of his blessing. I'm just focusing on that because it seemed to be the most controversial. And God also being a loving father who calls us to suffer alongside him. How do we reconcile this tension? And it's with this sentence. By making blessing and suffering about receiving and giving love. By making blessing and suffering about receiving and giving love. 
I would venture to say to you this evening that blessing and suffering are how we experience true love and true relationship. That if you have a love relationship with God, if you have a love relationship with anyone else, you will experience blessing and you will experience suffering. And so I'm suggesting to you that the receiving part of Christianity, of our relationship with God, is about learning to receive the blessings and the abundance of God. And the way that we love him and others is through suffering. I would go so far as to say that if we have not suffered for him, maybe our love of him is suspect. The challenge that we have is we think that blessing and suffering are an end in themselves. And this is where we go wrong, I think. The, the goal of blessing is not the accumulation of wealth, having a thoroughly uh, healthy body, having everything that our, our heart could desire. The purpose of blessing points beyond itself to a kind and loving father. And so if I am generous to my kids... And they say, yo, dad, thanks, I owe you one. And then they go off and spend my blessing to them on themselves. I'm hurt and disappointed and believe that my kids have missed the point of my generosity. The point of my generosity was to show my children a kind and generous father who enjoys the enjoyment of my kids. But if you take that and run off and do your own thing, you've missed the point of the blessing. Because the ultimate blessing is to have an intimate relationship with our loving Father. But do you, do you see the risk of it? What should I do then? In the name of protecting my children from greed, should I never bless them? We find over and over again in Scripture. I'm in, I'm in 1 Kings these days. And over and over again in Scripture, it's just shocking to me how irresponsible God is in his love. Over and over again, always erring on the side of being taken advantage of, of giving over and beyond what his children have ever deserved, you and I included. Always erring on that side. The book of Judges being perhaps the most um, brief and succinct example of this. But we have a loving father who is committed to an extravagant love toward us. And for him, if you can believe it, it is worth the risk of us becoming greedy and entitled and selfish. It's just worth the risk to him because 
there's so much generosity in his heart, he simply can't help himself. And it makes me want to worship him and not take advantage of the extravagance of his love. The same is true with suffering. If you pursue suffering, you're weird. I don't know how else to tell you that. It's just weird. Like you're not impressing anybody. We just think you're weird. If you're, you know, fasting way too much and putting yourself, not eating enjoyable foods and, you know, if you're single, not interested in dating, I don't know what it is. I'm just making up stuff. But if you're just, no, I'm, I'm just sad for Jesus, that's just a weird way to live. All right? There's nothing great about suffering in and of itself. It's why it's called suffering. It's just, but, but, if we love others generously, and we're misunderstood, and it costs us something, that is noble. Do you see the difference? Suffering in itself is not great, but when it's done for love's sake, it's beautiful. What redeems suffering, what redeems wealth, is when it is defined by love. And now, blessing is beautiful, and suffering is beautiful. And if you've ever watched anyone embrace suffering for the sake of love, it is truly inspiring. My, uh, I just have to brag about my brother. He's, uh, the, uh, those of you who go to this church, you know that his wife Robin has Alzheimer's. And uh, for many years now, and it's just hard. There's nothing, there's nothing beautiful about, it's just hard. And it, and it breaks my heart. And it's not easy to be, it, to stay uh, encouraged and hope-filled in the face of such a tragedy. But I've watched my, my brother and his kids love their mom, love their wife in a way that is nothing short of inspiring. There's nothing great about the suffering. But when you can find the love of God in the midst of that, it becomes a moment that is glorious. And it's the coming of heaven to earth. Nobody wants that kind of suffering. Nobody. It's weird if you do. But if you can manage to find in the midst of suffering love, and if you can manage to love to such a degree that it costs you something, an amazing thing happens in your heart. You find joy. And it becomes fun to suffer. Isn't that strange? Joyce told me time and again, he says, I have never felt closer to God in my whole life, right, Joy, than I do right now. 
full of joy. Does that mean that, that the suffering went away? Not at all. Not at all. But when we find the love of God, we can be extravagant and engage in painful places, places of self-sacrifice. And there's joy in that place. I'm not, not a fake joy, a genuine, my life matters joy. This is a valuable moment joy. This is powerful. So, God wants a love relationship with you. It's all that's ever going on. There's no subtext. There's no other storyline of a hidden agenda. God is thinking about two things. He wants you to receive his love, and he wants you to give his love. That's all that's going on in Christianity. And if it's more tricky for you, uh, you're getting religious. Because that's all that's ever going on. So, are you comfortable with receiving blessing? Are you comfortable with that? I struggle with this. I really struggle with it. I, I told the story a long time ago, but I tell it again because it, it fits so well. I remember when my mentor, uh, Patty Duclo, I'd known him for years, and it was the first time he came to our house. And so uh, often when somebody comes to your house, you want to show them around. So I wanted to show them around because I really like him, and I just wanted him to know us somehow. And so I'm going through the house, and uh, I'm telling stories about all the furniture in our house. And there's two storylines to everything in our house. It was given to us, or I built it, okay? So I'm going through, and I go, oh, somebody, you know, gave us money for this, or somebody, they didn't, they had two couches, and so they gave us an extra one, and, and this is, you know, it was Debbie's uh, 25th birthday, and so I made this debt, and I went through the whole house describing it this way. And then uh, he says, you know, he says, Greg, uh, it's okay if you bought something. It's okay. And I remember thinking, no, no, I'm bragging about how good God is by giving us free gifts, and, and I work hard, see, I make this stuff. What are you talking about? And I was struck that I was embarrassed if I bought something for us. I was embarrassed. I didn't want my mentor to see that I bought something for me. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. But I honestly felt this way. Um, anytime Debbie and I buy something for us, your faces go through our mind. I'm, I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you. And, and what we say is, what are they going to think? That's what we say. What are they going to think? Isn't that horrible? And I hope that we can be part of a church that when somebody's blessed, we say yay. That's what I hope. I, I hope that that's true for us. That we can go, you know, there are people like Katauda House is just the beginning. There's a, a lot more you could have given to. You didn't have to buy that. 
especially with those options. You didn't need those options if you really love Jesus. I, uh, in regard to receiving love, tangible love, are you proud? Do you not want to receive anything? No, no, it's okay. I don't need it. Fine. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I don't need your handouts. Are you like that? Are you guilty? That when you're given something, you just go, oh, man, I'm such a worm, and you've just confirmed it. I feel horrible, and I can't even pay you for it. Do you feel like that? Or do you feel blind that you don't even recognize the extravagant love of God in your life every day? A man named Ken Blue uh, preached a sermon on, the, uh, on Jesus healing a blind man on the Sabbath. And I've never forgotten this sermon. I don't remember my sermons or anybody else's sermon. I remember this sermon. And uh, scholars debate over why Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And so what they say is that Jesus was making a statement that um, he's Lord of the Sabbath and that he doesn't have to submit even to his own laws. He's beyond that. He was also... Um, um, trying to make a statement to the Pharisees of the day that um, he's not, you know, bowing down to their religious system. And I remember Ken Blue saying, do you know why Jesus healed on the Sabbath? Because he saw a sick man and he couldn't wait another day. It just killed me. That's all that was going on for Jesus. He's not making a political statement or a theological statement. He just couldn't stand seeing someone suffer. That is our God. Can we please be comfortable with being loved by our Heavenly Father? Number two, are you comfortable with the suffering love? Are you comfortable suffering? Or do you do one of two things? Do you avoid or do you blame? When there's an opportunity for suffering, do you just avoid those moments? You go, you know what? God doesn't call me to suffer. I, I'm not really... I mean, I know other people do that. I'm super happy for them. Do you avoid suffering? If you avoid suffering, I promise you, you will never experience the abundant Christian life. There is so much joy in suffering, and you won't experience it. You just won't experience it. I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to... I know that it's true. I've experienced this in my own life. As soon as I become self-protected and I never want to get hurt or stretch beyond my means, I live a lonely, sad existence. And when I decide to do something that is beyond my means, of something that might somehow give someone a glimpse of the love of the Father, my heart is alive. 
Or do you blame? Whenever you see suffering, do you look for blame? You see somebody sick, and you ask what the religious leaders say. Whose fault is it? Is it their fault or their parents' fault? Now we would say, is it genetic or did they do something wrong? And we look for blame. Can I please exhort you, when you see somebody suffering, never look for blame. Never do that. You will always be mean to somebody because it's never the point of suffering. The point of suffering is that this becomes a moment for us to trust in the love of God and extend the love of God. And it's only in that moment that the suffering becomes redeemed through love. In conclusion, those of you who are going to prepare for the communion, you can uh, just slip out now. In conclusion, listen to this, please. Blessing and suffering are signs of love. Blessing and suffering are signs of love. There is a large group of people who are blaming God for suffering in this world. I think it's horrible. Do you know why? Because if you and I were to live in a world without suffering, there would be no love. Love and suffering go together. And the only reason why you, because you've not experienced love. Just hold on in the back. I'll send you out in just a sec. Um, it's our joy to suffer. Uh, one of the best movies I've seen in a long time is The Shack. I just really like that movie. I, I love it. And uh, I love it when uh, the guy's running on the water with Jesus. I just get emotional seeing Jesus like that. It's just so gripping to me. And I believe in a father of love. But there's one part that kind of bugs me, and it's explaining why the Father would send the Son to die for our sins. If you've watched the movie, you know this. And then there's this, this great moment that is to explain it. And the, well, I guess it's the woman at that point, which I know that makes it complicated for people, but anyways. The woman um, uh, who's the father um, shows, uh, shows these scars on her hand that, and the idea was, was that she was on the cross as much as Jesus was. And we all go, okay, that's fine. Okay, I get that. So she was suffering too. That's okay. No, 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 no. Please follow me on this because this is a big deal. It was to the son's glory that he would suffer. But this society is so messed up in viewing suffering that it's only seen as a tragedy. It's not true. The father sent the son to suffer to glorify the son in a way that would give his name to be above all other names. It was to the son's glory that he would suffer. And there was, it, you don't have to share it. 
that might have happened. I don't see it in scripture, but it might have happened. But you're missing the point. We want to suffer. Because we want to love. There's nothing great in and of itself. But if it's a costly love, it's a sweeter love. And so when we suffer, we still glorify God. When we seek to love, we do it in a sacrificial way. Because it's better. So both blessing and suffering are signs of love, and it begins now. I won't say the name of, of somebody. I think I maybe said this. And I, didn't, I hope I didn't say their name then either. But somebody says, the blessings of God are undeniable. The problem with the health and wealth people is they just have the timing wrong. It's all in heaven. And then Joel Olstein, who I will... Uh, I don't know much about his theology. I just like that he said this. And Jesus died that we might live an abundant life. And he did not say a pain-free life. He did not say that. John 10, 10 says that I have come that they may have life to the full. Come on now. When does abundant life begin? Is Is it when you die or is it when you receive Christ and follow him? Come on now. Abundant life begins now. So that means that blessing and suffering begin now. But the miracle of blessing and suffering is that they point beyond themselves to our longing of the coming kingdom. If you think that you're going to be blessed enough to be satisfied, you are sorely mistaken. There won't be enough money, enough personal health, enough uh, peaceful relationships to ever satisfy your ache for heaven. Blessings always point beyond themselves. They're only a deposit for the coming kingdom. And suffering also points beyond itself to the day when there'll be no more pain, no more death, no more crying, for the old order of things has passed away. The miracle of Blessing and suffering, when they're motivated by love, is you can have satisfaction in this moment, yet long for something far beyond what we could ever experience in this fleshly tent. And this is the miracle of being a Christian. You can begin to hand out the elements, thank you. These are a symbol of the extravagant blessing of our Father, His Son, Jesus Christ, in the Holy Spirit. You are, you are, you will be if you don't have it yet, you're holding in your hand a demonstration of extravagance. There is nothing stingy of what you're holding in your hand. It is the death of Christ for our life. And so he says, freely you have received, freely give. We love because he first loved us. 
Genesis 12, 2, it says, says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. I just bless you because I like to bless you. Oh, and you're going to be a blessing too. It's not I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I just bless you because I like blessing you because you're my child. And I just really love you a lot. And I'm going to invite you to be a blessing to others because that's also what my kids do. And it's equally meaningful. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What are we remembering? We are remembering a God who, in the face of betrayal, would let himself be crucified. You can't get more extravagant than that. The symbol that you have in your hands is a promise of prosperity. Now, am I saying that if you believe in God, we're all going to be rich? Of course not. That's ridiculous. I am saying that you're going to be blessed. And would you have the courage to just look at me now? Would you have the courage just as you receive in humility, this gift, would you have the courage to say, my Father wants to bless me? Would you have the courage to say that? With humility, knowing you can't earn it or manipulate it, but would you let that, would you let that be true? Father, I thank you that you sent your Son because you loved us. that what we hold in our hand is a representation of the luxurious sacrifice of Jesus. And on this Thanksgiving day, we express with great gratitude the abundant full life that has been given us through the sacrifice of your Son. This is Christ's body broken for you. Take and eat. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank you that we have a new covenant, a new relationship a relationship that is based on forgiveness, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, a a, a relationship that cancels our debt and gives us new life, that cleanses us from the inside out, that removes every barrier between us and the Father. This is what we receive tonight, new life through the work of Jesus Christ. And so we say, We are hungry and thirsty for this new life. 
We don't want a little, we want a lot of you. And we choose you now. This is Christ's blood shed for you. Take and drink and be satisfied.